insert your own theme tune here. That's our theme tune. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, yeah it's, got, it's quite angry. It's got a feel, sort of slightly situationist vibe. Yeah. Yeah. It could do with a bit more of a kind of song feel to it, I think. A bit more of a melody, maybe. Well, I heard a melody in there. Did you? Know, yeah, I mean, Very basic. not all melodies are, you know, tonal, are they? <laughs> <laughs> not this one, anyway. Hello, welcome to Citizens of Nowhere. <coughs> this is uh, Kerry Marks falling apart. That was Kerry Marks falling apart. <coughs> yeah. This is Nick Judy holding it that together. That is a proper old street vagrant's cough you've got there, yes, isn't no, it? Yes, That's a domestic cough. That's exactly how I see myself. <laughs> <laughs> and we are joined by Simon Evans. Yeah. Special guest, well, Simon Evans. I was just taking a slurp of my Harvest Bristol cream, which I've got into the <laughs> habit of uh, treating myself to in lunchtimes. Yes? Yeah. It's I'm, not too early for you. No, I'm very much in the uh, Donald Sindon sort of mode up here now. Yeah, yeah cravat <laughs> on and uh, yeah, <laughs> hoist the flag. <laughs> How's the festival going, Simon? It's interesting. Uh, very, very well um, by any kind of... Uh, the, well, certainly the, most, the single most important metric is I'm selling tickets. Obviously, that's always good. Oh, yes. But because it's kind of last year's show revisited and souped up and turbocharged, it hasn't attracted a great deal of critical attention. And although, of course, you know, most people say don't read reviews, it's insane, it's actually, I've realised it's quite nice to get reviews as long as they're not, you know, catastrophically awful, because it has, has little sort of marking, you know, little sort of uh, uh, milestones along the way, you know, whereas I've gone a month without any, uh, selling tickets and having great shows, but without yeah. attracting any kind of press at all, you sort of start to feel you've wandered off, you know, have I Coming lost invisible. the party yes. a little bit? Yeah. Where am I? That can happen to you on the free fringe, that can happen. Yes, I've had a two well. years with not a single review, and you, you, yeah. you, know, you doubt. Am I here? Doubt. Yeah. Yes, exactly. It's a bit it's weird when you, you look up am your I name on the internet and there's nothing. It's like they, no, you, just, you just don't exist I'm right now. I'm a brain in a bottle. Yeah. A demon has uh, convinced me that I'm at the fringe, but I'm not. But last year I had about seven or eight good reviews, and um, right. and so that was probably why this year sells, you know. But, so, but, some people won't read them, as you say. They won't read yeah, their reviews. But I am. I do. Do, do they bother you that much? I mean, no, I mean, it does bother you me. You've been upset by one. Uh, well, in about 2001, I think it was, I did a show at the, uh, the Assembly Rooms, which was, I think, my first full hour that was a proper full hour. I'd, I'd done an hour before that had yeah. been, you know, the bottom half of the bucket had been stones and broken shells and stuff, you know. <laughs> but um, there was, uh, I did a full hour and I was quite pleased that I got there and then I was walking into it like like well into the run one night and the bloke on the door went, I saw that review, mate. I didn't think that was fair at all. <laughs> and I was like, what? What are you talking about? And he, he went, yeah, in the Scotsman, did you not see it? And I'd had a one-star review in the Scotsman. Right. Oh, but the, one of the famous, Ooh. you know, the... the, the uh, I can't remember whether it's called the Page of Death or something, right. wasn't it? You what know, was the, he thinking? Uh, yeah, yeah. And it was well, it, it essentially said that I was, oh, it was sort of, you know, my shtick was reactionary, bad, you know, out of step and right. kind of misogynist. I had a routine about the Spice Girls, which apparently had not uh, accorded them sufficient respect as, as self-actuated. <laughs> you know. And it was just, I mean, the, and of course, punching was, down, mate. Well, exactly. And of course, it, the joke was all intended to be on me anyway for being this kind of thirty-year-old, you know, yeah. fuddy daddy before my time, anyway. So, but anyway, that's the frustration. Sometimes you want to yeah. explain the joke to someone. And go, no, yeah, exactly. if you follow the whole thing through, it was self-deprecation. Yes, it's There was a target, so I could turn myself into <laughs> yes. a target. All but I'm you don't bother, do you? It's a failure to communicate. That's all I'm ever really talking but about. But they're, they're just one person's view, though, aren't they? I mean, the reviews. I don't, and I, they're I, not even that. They're not even that. I don't think. I honestly don't think you don't, you don't consider person. reviewers no, a person. I am person. I am person. You hear? No, what I mean by that is uh, they aren't yeah. even really one strong personalities take on another artifact. They are. 
there's a lot of second guessing goes on in reviewing. You know, there's a lot of students or um, or recently graduated people who have not really formed a strong personality. You know, these are not Harold Blooms. Yeah, yeah. These are, (laughs) you know, these are these are half-formed personalities themselves who encounter often half-formed propositions in the form of performance. And what you end up with is a sort of series of guesses as to what might have happened, you know, and what how they might have reacted to it. That there's, there's a, I mean, there's more and more of that now, isn't there? There's more of the student reviewing up here and uh, uh, so many five-star reviews being yeah. thrown around everywhere. I was, I, was talking to, um, I was talking to Neil from uh, Masioki. My wife plays in Masioki sometimes. Yeah. And he said they got, a, they got a review which went through their set and it was songs that they hadn't played for two years. Wow. So somebody really? who somebody just hadn't, got, they hadn't gone. Right. Well, I saw the show you haven't seen. I mean, you move into sort of French existentialist philosophy. Foucault would see no problem at all with reviewing a show based on what you think it might have been like. But your show's called Genius 2.0, isn't it? Yeah, 2.0, 2.0. I like to say, because it's, uh, it's a kind of web thing, isn't it? Web yeah. 2.0 is what social media was called initially. I don't know why. Right. So okay. it's a sort of it's the point. And it's of an which extension it of last year, then it's uh, yeah. It's, I, a I'd say I like to say it's an evolution. What it what it really is is that I toured the show and it got a lot tighter and better. And I worked out I I I, I gradually became aware as you do when you if even if you took twelve random topics and did a routine about each of them. After a while, you start to spot connections and you start to spot yeah. echoes and how to tie it up. And so it, you know, I just don't think you can do that over the course of a month. It also takes a while to really understand the audience's point of view of some of the yes, things yeah. we talk about, isn't it? Because yeah. some of their reactions are often baffling and it's a, it's a word. Yes. You know, it's a word that's cueing them to think in a particular way or, yeah, just, yeah, or just the framing of the piece Yes, that isn't quite getting them into our mindset. Or sometimes you think, if you're a comedian who spends six hours a day on Twitter, you think that everybody is aware of the yes. latest t- t- Twitter scandal or, you know, some kind of journalist who's been hired yeah, despite yeah, yeah. having said a bad thing in 1904 or something. And it's a big danger, isn't it? Other people don't you care. Do think that. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Even though we all like to think we're seeing outside the bubble, we're the comedians <laughs> looking you know, from outside, <laughs> looking in. Yeah. And yeah. then the first time I mentioned the Me Too Thing was up in a gig in Manchester last year, and uh, and a large part of the audience were baffled. And mm. I just thought everyone's talking about this. They probably thought it was a, a, a sequel to me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> me, me two, me yes. two point zero. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Delightful Pixar movie about the inner, inner workings of the conscious. <laughs> So do you see your work more, more as a, a process then over, you know, you, you, rather well, than have, have a finished definite date for everything? And yeah, no, I think that's, I think it is good to, to, to well, it, the deadlines obviously are useful. We all know that we only, you know, we're all exam crammers, aren't we? Comedians yep. are a little bit of that. But at the same time then, having done that, you go, do I need to do this brand new for next year or can it in fact work? And the reality is, I, you know, my audience have come back in stronger numbers than ever. I think some of them saw it last year. I don't think any of them have left felt feeling, you know, I think one, I've spoken to them afterwards and they go, oh, one or two bits we recognise, but even those are developed and other bits, you know, we couldn't remember at all. And I think sometimes, I mean, an audience's memory is not that strong anyway. I mean, every time I listen to the White Album, I must have listened to it like 50 <laughs> times at least. There's always a song I'd completely forgotten was in there, you know. Right. So, <laughs> this, you, right. know, you know, things, you can have them for years and not... Uh, it's sort of drift oh, in I and out. I pieces of my show know. every night, yes, so exactly. I'm, I'm always surprised Well, myself. you're always on. I think every comedian, no matter how nailed down it is, you work from a squad anyway, don't you? Yeah. And you make substitutions in mid-flow. You kind of go, yeah. right, that's not... If that didn't go, that's not going to be... You know, right. That's not going to play, so I'll whip that out and stick that in. But, yeah, I think it, I think it has evolved. And also, the, the things it's addressing have only become more urgent, you know, as, as subject matter in the year that's okay. gone on. Because it's sort of like, semi-topical. Like what, what sort of thing we... Well... I suppose the sort of 
um, alarming level of of, uh, of incompetence visible in in public life. And this is not like a party political. I try very hard not to be divisive or not to assume a consensus uh-huh. in the audience, you know, that they would have my politics. It's just that feeling that regardless of what your politics are, you cannot possibly feel that they are being represented for you at the, at the you know, highest level by people you can trust at the moment. It's just a, it's an absolute clusterfuck, isn't it? It's, I can't remember any time in my adult lifetime where I've seen just such a, a litany of of third-rate thinking and, and, and poorly presented... <laughs> You know, they're not even any good at propaganda at the moment, let alone actual policy, you know. And, and I don't know whether Brexit has made it impossible, but... Right. Are we lionising stupidity, do you think, to an extent? I think, well, my view that, that I express in the show, but it's a bit tongue-in-cheek, is that this is the danger of egalitarianism, because if you really start yeah. to believe that everyone is, you know, everyone is yeah. as good as everyone else, it starts with, <laughs> it starts with <laughs> democracy yeah. and then it seeps back <laughs> in, you know, and the ruling classes themselves have started to believe that now, and it's dangerous, you know. I mean, it, it was a common thing, um, certainly on Twitter, uh, among the left, to kind of uh, express despair that Michael Gove would be given, you know, the education department, despite not knowing how education works. But that's how government has been. Always, always been yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. Nobody yeah. is given a portfolio of anything they understand, and actually, it's almost considered to be dangerous if they do, because they might be too invested in a particular viewpoint. But I mean, sort of what you know, why isn't it an ex-teacher in terms of yes, why, yeah. why isn't someone who's a doctor in charge of the yes, yes, and I mean yeah. you can see that argument. It would be an interesting you know one to explore fully. But I just thought it was extraordinary that they, this was the first time they'd noticed. Have you have you not been paying attention? You know, yeah, none yeah. of these people have a fucking clue what's going on most of the time. And um, is it know. some part of just like a big cultural shift then of uh, I know from the internet, from celebrity culture, from interactive entertainment. From everybody want, wanting to feel a part of everything and, yeah. and really it's I think it's down convenience. I think it's way. convenience and ease have become the, the, the great kings. And I don't, I, it may have already, already, always been genetically coded into us, but it wasn't always available. But, you know, just ease of, of consumption now, it seems to, to override all other concerns. And at the end of my show, I present two editions of the Guinness Book of Records, mine from when I was nine years of age and my son's, which he received last year at that age. And, and you compare and contrast them. The amount of information, the detail, the, 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 uh, the level of, of... The amount of text alone in the, in the two editions is just incomparable. You know, the, the, the 1973 edition was just absolutely rammed with so an extraordinary dense. amount yeah. of information about engineering and so on, whereas the new edition is just full of people who've all dressed up as Catwoman for the day, you know, and it's just like... <laughs> it looks like Ripley's Believe It or Not, yes. then, doesn't it? Just, yes, exactly. Yeah. It's got, well, you can see why, because it's lavishly colourful and... You know, I'm surprised it's not gone to voting at this point. Yes. You know, <laughs> vote on who you think the tallest man is. <laughs> yes. Oh, that would be wonderful. Who cares for the truth that. anymore? Yeah, absolutely. Well, if they could, if they could monetize that, I'm sure they would, the way that the TV shows have. But. Yeah, I mean, they are competing with the internet now, but that's the thing. As soon as you are, as soon as every website is basically going, don't go to Pornhub just yet. Hang on, we've got yeah, something yeah, else. Yeah, you know, yeah. you know it's, it's only ever going to go in one direction. Okay, is your show a complaint or have you got a suggestion? Um, I, th- I can probably say, can't I, on here? But as I say, it goes tongue-in-cheek towards the end. But my suggestion is basically, I, I quote from John Stuart Mill, who was, um, according to the Guinness Book of Records, was the last British... Uh, genius of a 200 plus IQ he was supposed to be an extraordinarily he was hothoused by his father who was a Benthamite 
fluent into six languages by yeah. the age of eight or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah spoke yeah, ancient yeah. Greek at the age of three, three and then moved on. Yeah, three. Latin a bit later. Three, exactly. My son can't what? speak at three. Greek people you know. can't speak. <laughs> exactly. You're not using that to turn on your son, are you? <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> you see? <laughs> Look, this is the example I expect you to But of reach. course, he, he himself <laughs> felt that his education had brought him to the brink of suicide. I mean, he was, but he was rescued by Wordsworth, which is telling in itself because Wordsworth to him was the great sort of awakening of his soul. Whereas, you know, having been hothouse and exposed to a, 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 an, an overly, you know, uh, ambitious education nowadays, Wordsworth would be considered part of that overly ambitious education. You know, right, I mean, right. he, for him, Wordsworth was light relief. But anyway, he has views about it and he talks about encouraging eccentricity uh, in um, and, and encouraging it. The intelligent people should regard it as a responsibility to express unorthodox views, to be deliberately argumentative, essentially, to, to posit ridiculous Notions, which is very different from modern day trolling, isn't it? Yes, Troll, trolls well, are doing it just to original get trolling. I think on the internet was a bit like that, you know, and, right. they, and it was a bit of an art form. But now the word trolling is meant essentially means being mean to a celebrity, yeah, being, a twat, yeah. 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 being rude to Lily Allen, just, just, so trying, to get, just, like, just yes. trying to get attention yeah. solely. I, I saw yeah. somebody do a routine, I can't remember who it was, but stand up, uh, basically begging the audience never to use the phrase, I'm just playing devil's advocate, yeah. because it's always followed by something hideous. That's, yeah, it's yeah. a bit like, yeah. not not to be racist, but... Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, devil's advocate is an interest. Again, these things are all perfectly valid if they're used properly, but again, very quickly they are yes. used to, you know, as a cover. People who are saying, I'm just playing devil, devil's advocate, usually have at least some suspicion that what they're about to say is true. But, yeah. but don't want to be, but uh, but I've become afraid of the power of the of you know society or some small subset thereof to banish them, you know, for yeah, having yeah. expressed an unorthodox and a heterodox view. And of course, we are. I mean, it is this really is deeply ingrained in us genetically. We have the greatest fear that we have is being cast out of the tribe because then you're alone. Then you're alone in the wolves. Yes. So that's interesting. We, we use those kind of phrases so we don't commit, so, yeah, don't we? Don't throw me out. Don't throw me out. Yeah, I yeah, just yeah. want. Yeah, I'm not committing yeah. to this view. Yeah, I'm just yeah. saying that. What if this view that yeah. I might have? <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah, yeah. I suppose we use humour in the same way, though, don't we? There's, well, Stephen that kind Fry of had a brilliant humor. thing. He said, you know, the lovely thing about Cambridge, and you know, the society of, of highly intelligent people who would use to- ideas as playthings. You know, they right. would just, you know, like bounce them back and forth like balloons. There was no way you were not going to leave the common room. You, you don't really believe that, do you? You know, there were, and, and depending on exactly what you said, but um, you know, that is a healthy society, and we have become quite. Uh, suffocating now, I think, possibly, to that kind of idea. But then the idea that I end with, essentially, is that democracy is the great suffocation. It, you know, it is fundamentally a suffocating impulse. It's a suffocating um, uh, system. Uh, do you know de Tocqueville, Alexis de Tocqueville? No, no. He wrote. Uh, he was one of Mill's contemporaries, and he wrote a book called Democracy in America. He travelled around America in the mid-19th century. Um, basically anthropological study of of this new great democratic, you know, uh, experiment. And he, it was his view that it had had the surprising and rather depressing effect of having actually narrowed the range of acceptable opinions. It had created, he didn't use the Overton window as a word, but it was essentially (laughs) that, you know, that idea that that had narrowed, that there was less thought, there was less... Uh, is, is that from playing for a vote? 
Do you think? I think there might. I mean, of course, it wasn't democracy as we'd understand it now, anyway. Well, even in America, at then. that point, did they tell Jackson? Um, I don't know whether. I mean, people always go, "Oh, you know, Lincoln was a Republican," and that was that's always one of those sort of things that right. they're supposed to throw up. But the first, the first three or four presidents weren't, weren't an. Oh no, not the first three yeah. or four. No, no, I think it split for some time. Yeah, but yes, I mean, it would have been not keep it. Yeah, I think it was just generally that idea that if you know you don't want to frighten the horses and that there was a kind of um, you know appealing to the lowest common denominator nominator is a difficult thing you know and in you know in any bell curve of society there's a lot of them in there there's, there's a lot of that lowest common they're, they're the lower the half you know and you, so they actually, don't get involved but you've got to get, take them with you, you yeah, know? yeah 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 i mean you look at somebody like bill clinton who i think was a genius politician one of his underestimated skills was his ability to mask his extraordinarily high intellect you know he he was definitely uh, you know full on fully right. fledged genius no question about it very it's very smart guy. like 180 plus wasn't it I've, I've seen that yeah definitely 150 plus anyway I mean very very smart and once you're three standard deviations above the mean you know you tend to lose touch with the lower mm. orders And but he could mask that he could you know give the impression he was just this folksy guy oh who, he could be a people person yeah, yeah. which is where Hillary went skill. off the rails I think as much as anything else she lost touch with that she 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 gave off the impression of being you know she's she's looked at the figures and this is what needs to happen and just trust me on this guys you know yes, yeah yeah not, yeah that yeah. doesn't work you know yeah yeah it's not putting rhetoric in there so i say let's return to absolute monarchy because the reality <laughs> is you know britain has had had some great years under absolute monarchs i know? don't know whether you're joking now <laughs> no, or not <laughs> exactly i'm just playing devil's advocate guys yeah <laughs> <laughs> um this was Plato's idea, of course, as well. Although you'd have to raise the monarch to be a, you know, philosopher a king. philosopher king. Yeah, yeah exactly. Right. But, you know, it was just shy of tyranny. His his perfect society, really. So, you, do you think democracy is damned to always have that result? Then. No, I mean, again, I am. I hope am playing with ideas, but democracy is a. You know, I mean, in America, they don't have democracy. Of course, they say it's a. It's a. What do they call it? A republic. Um, republic. Yeah. yeah. And so the idea is that there are checks and balances which stop the, the tyranny of the majority taking control in any single. Doesn't seem very obvious, that does it? Yeah. Well, they, they're, they're not effect. as effective. I mean, no. a little effective. Yeah, still, yeah. But, they um, can stop it. They can extent. stop everything being swept away in a single yeah. term, but. Um, I, th- I mean, it's a good question. Are they going to kick in now? Is the, if the Democrats do take retake the House, will they impeach and they will have that option? Will the will Republicans um, will they go? Will they double down or will they will they um, you know throw what, Trump to the wolves? But I have mm. tried actually myself to steer clear of discussing American politics in the show because it's just obviously it's a complete sinkhole. I mean, it's it's never ending. It's so absurd you can't keep up with it. It's impossible to satirize. It's so garish yep. and full of. I mean, it's like a National Enquirer story that was spiked for being unbelievable, isn't it? The whole every day, you can't keep up with it. I think don't think the British public are reading as much about it as the comedians tend to. And Probably I've always not. felt yeah. that thing of doing American politics is a bit like you know telling jokes about somebody else's mother-in-law. You've got, to, <laughs> you've got to deal with your own shit first, you know. <laughs> I think it's a lovely idea, actually. Just about someone else's mother-in-law. Yeah, let you, let, do let that. your own yeah. mother-in-law off the hook. Do actually do that. I, I, I wanted to do a dad show about someone else's yeah. dad. So yes. I even, even run a lottery for it. Yeah. <laughs> I, oh, very unusually for me, I don't have anything about American politics in this show. There's one line in the song at the end. Right. The song is about things that are okay. Yeah. Uh, a, you know, how George W. Bush looks now is the line. Well, that was one of the things that um, came up. I mean, I find, you know, the idea that Bush now... I mean, I did a thing on News Quiz, which drew a few sort of sharp intakes of breath about saying that, you know, Trump obviously is a short-fingered Vulgarian. He's not my cup of tea. He's not the, you know, I'd rather spend the evening with Barack Obama discussing the finer things of life. Who wouldn't? 
But, you know, look objectively at what is achieved in this administration. Things have quietened down in Syria. You know, the Korean peninsula is probably in the best shape it's been for some time. There are, you know, healthy signs that you can you can nitpick about it. But broadly speaking, the American economy has at least continued its, the revival that began under Obama. You've got this point in George W. Bush's administration. They've become the most catastrophic war since the Second World. Yeah. And, and, and opened a couple of other minor fronts as well. And... And also, of course, was well on its way to, you know, being completely oblivious to the growing instability in the financial markets, which led to a worldwide meltdown. And yet now, because George W. Bush knows how to dress smartly, you know, and and has a slightly sort of more debonair manner, he's accepted as this great old father figure. And he's been adopted (laughs) by the Democrats virtually as somebody who can shake his head in sorrow at at the vulgarities of Trump. And I just think... It's absurd, you know. We seem to have extraordinarily short memories about what we do, don't we? You know, yes, yeah. And yeah, he, apart yeah. from anything else, you know, because he was essentially puppeted into the into the top job, he basically set the stage and lowered the bar for for the uh, apparent, you know, the necessity of being a man of quality if you are going to hold that position. That was that was the point at which the, the American people went, well, if he can do it, you yeah, know. Yeah. Yeah. But he was he was a Republican who was put in by the neocons, or was you know, and 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 fulfilled their agenda, and and I and the great red unwashed states of Middle America just went fuck those guys, you know. We've had enough of you know the Republicans, you know, just promising us we can keep our guns. We want a bit more than that. So, whether or not his economic policies will prove to be you know as utterly disastrous as or, or whatever, you know, God knows, I don't. Know. Yeah, I find him totally unlikable as a man, but at the same Trump. time, it's yeah, 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 yeah. At the same time, that doesn't necessarily mean someone isn't good for the job. In in, in some ways, having someone uh, that in, in some of his policies quite definite about where he stands, at least you, yeah. you, you kind of know what you're dealing with. Well, and other ways where he's not, it's probably worked for him as well. I mean, I, I think he's a a perfect nuclear deterrent because you've got no idea what the way he might exactly. do in any that, I mean, in that respect, and certainly in the Korean, it was a big call, but in the Korean negotiations, that seemed to work. But I think what's probably happening, as much as anything else, is Trump is now a symptom of the end of the sort of post-war, you know, the pact, the NATO agreement mm-hmm. that, that America would basically fund peace worldwide, that it would just establish bases everywhere and stop internecine war breaking out in Europe again, let alone the Soviet threat, that it would take all responsibility for that. Very explicit that he doesn't want to do that. Exactly. You know, I I kind of don't, you know, I kind of understand that. You know, the American economy is not what it once was. It is not the powerhouse of the world. You know, it funded that essentially in the immediate aftermath of the Second World War through the Marshall Plan, which lent Europe money, which it was then encouraged to spend on American goods. So America benefited twice from that arrangement, but it's not been benefiting from some time now. So I understand why they're getting a bit fed up of that. On the other hand, I don't know that I'd necessarily want to arm Germany again. So I don't know what yeah. the, uh, you know, <laughs> I don't know exactly what the solution is, but he's a symptom of, of a lot of, you know, a, you know, that whole thing that we've all been saying for years, you know, that we can see that the power shift is going from the, from the West to the East. You know, we've all known that was coming and this is, you know, this is as much a, a symptom of that as anything else, I think. Yeah, and I suppose the question whether you need, you need strong leaders to try and resist that as much as yeah. possible or uh, or ones just to give into it. And, and, well, it's the question, yeah. is it is America, is it their responsibility? Are we are we entitled to demand that America continues to fulfil its role as the, you know, the guarantor of world peace, the world's policeman, the world's yeah. great power? Or is it entitled to think about itself, you know, a bit more selfishly? Right. I don't know. Whether or not those two things are contradictory is another question, but... It's a question that we haven't, asked, you know, it hasn't been asked of us for a long time, really. What, so what, why, why did you leave off American politics this year? There's a similar, you have similar to what you said, Simon. There's a lot. It's just never ending. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> what did you say? Clusterfuck. It's, yeah. It, it's yeah, just. It's, it's just. It, yeah. 
it's 40 clowns on a tricycle yeah. gradually <laughs> crashing over time and it's, like, it's just going to be the, it'll be the same after Edinburgh as it was before Edinburgh yeah. people would vote for 40 clowns on a tricycle yeah. <laughs> that would be very popular I do sort of wonder what happens what's next after Trump is that because yeah. it, it's kind of sullied now isn't it it's very hard to see the Republican Party sort of regaining its its sort of austere grandeur again isn't it if it ever had it yeah but then you know it's these things do go in cycles we forget but until Reagan it was thought that the Republican Party had completely lost its way really and was was like you know it was felt that it was you know that whole notion we have now that the Democrats basically get like a like new Labour you know right. the kind of have yeah. to adapt, you know. That was it. Was the other way around, you know. I've always thought one one odd thing about covering American politics in a show is that it, it's it's solely passive. It, it's it's yeah. uh, it's a view on another country, but it's not. We don't get to vote. We don't get to have no. any any say in it. But then you can. It's now full. You don't hear well, no. either. Really, have any sort of? I don't think many. Well, we have is, some. Oh no, but it's have, a it's a tiny sort of illusion, isn't it? That's the thing. Yes, it is. Yeah. Not not simply because you've only got one vote, but even then, because you know the the things you're allowed to vote for are manipulated and the you know the, the the actual access to the parties and to their agenda and so on the power of lobbies and the power of big you know corporate interests and so on yeah. and international treaties overwhelm even what you're able to vote for yeah, even if you you know people you know this was the birth of like neo-reactionary politics in america which again you know is a sort of you know a thing i find fascinating without having fully grasped but a lot of it sort of talks about like um, well, at its height, they they actually dispute the the um, right of the Hanoverian succession in England to uh, to sign a treaty handing over America because they say it was oh, really? yeah they dispute that they dispute that inheritance they dispute that's that line so that's that's a hill to die on yeah down to some serious you know reactionary politics yeah. If you're still if you're still <laughs> comfortable with George the Third's Lucas Standi in but but um, wow yeah but the idea that you know it, you could move to a system where um, where administration of your of your country was handled along I suppose more libertarian lines insofar as it would be more like a free market like a marketplace of ideas again for which you would right. vote independently or indeed sort of purchase shares in you know and this is a very complex thing which Even I have then, not fully grasped yeah yeah yeah. But, uh, I mean, the libertarian position, which I've always thought, it's, it's a fascinating one, but it's, again, it's one of those things you think, <coughs> is it worth getting to grips with it? Is it worth understanding it fully? Because it's just not going to happen, is it? Because there are two, there's, you know, the deep state is not like, you know, regardless of what you think the deep state is, the establishment, whatever it is, you know, is not likely to allow that to emerge. No, and I yet think. sometimes, I don't know, I think, you know, stranger things have happened now. Not in this country, I don't think, but it is conceivable that America will split in our lifetime. I think that might happen. I think we're very leader-led and the right leader of a libertarian, you know, whatever yeah. the party is, I think people nowadays vote for uh, the personality, the character who they think is making the most, or selling it best, mm. you know, framing it and putting it over. Yeah. You, are you a believer that everyone should vote? That's a really good question. Um, do you mean morally, or, do, or that I would legislate to? to oh, let me leave legislate alone for a second, then just morally. Morally, I think they should, but I have to say, I I think they should, but there should be the option to say don't know. But I think you should be. I think people should not be allowed to just shrug. Why? Because why if if someone if someone I think it knows they don't know politics. anything why yeah. should they be voting because they would once presented with the options and there and if you still honestly don't know then you should 
say, I don't know, I'm sorry, I can't decide. I think if I'd gone into the referendum, I found myself in London on the day of the Brexit referendum, I was unable to vote and it was... But I had assumed, as everyone else had by that day, that it was going to be uh, remain, yeah. and it was it was solid. And I was relaxed about that. That was my you know my view yeah, was, with no yeah, yeah. with no totally. great enthusiasm for the European Union, but thought better in, better out, risk averse, whatever. But um, I think actually, if I'd been forced to, if I'd known that it was a requirement, you know, I might have actually done a bit more reading about it. I might have formed a stronger opinion, and I pro- and of course I would have actually voted. And I think a lot more people would, and I think we'd probably still be in. As We're still talking about you, though. You, you know, yeah. you'd, you'd have had an intelligent opinion on it, but yeah, yeah. about all the masses, or people just have no interest in politics no, whatsoever. No. Yeah. It's, it's a, people who don't even know that they don't question. know. Yes, I agree. So with even you. don't yeah. know might be. A bit they don't of know what they don't them. know. They I think, don't know that I don't know. No, no, of course. <laughs> <laughs> it's very it, tricky, it, it, but it, it would change politics, wouldn't it? There are other countries. I think Australia, you're legally obliged to yeah. vote, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. There's a fine if you don't. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and yet their politics are not noticeably more sort of refined I'm or high flown. Sure, there's been a lot more naivety into the vote though. Yeah. I mean, there was a lot more people voting for the same two or three options, isn't it? It's yeah. It just seems to be re- people who are really solid on this. Like everyone must vote. It's important. Mm. And I've never really understood why. It no, is I so understand important. that view. I'm I almost of the view that people should actually have to pass a test before well, they vote. Well, most of the people who say everyone should vote and try and you know on Twitter try and encourage the vote out on the day feel that they are they suspect that they are speaking to the younger generation who lean left but are apathetic and they think right. that if they get them out to vote, it's more likely to lead to a Labour. Ele- victory yeah. that's my suspicion when i watch twitter and people who kind of go you should, everyone should vote it's you know regardless of you get out you know democrat people died for this and all that that's usually people who lean left who think that it, who suspect that there's a lazy there's the shy tories lazy left. who don't right. appear in the polls and there's yes. the lazy left who do appear in the polls but can't be bothered to go to the poll to, to the poll on the day right. And that that distorts, you know, the the picture. What it seemed to turn out to be, the statistical artefact that they called shy Tories, was likelihood of being at home. Right. It turned out that, so that's why the the YouGov poll was really accurate um, last time. But the people who knock on doors or make phone calls to landlines, like who's got a fucking landline anyway? Yeah, or answer thinking it's going to be a cold call. It turns out that there's a a positive correlation between uh, being out either socially or at work and voting Tory. Oh, really? And vice versa. Yeah. People are more likely to be at home if they leave left. <laughs> okay. That's interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. And it's, sig- it's significant yeah, yeah. So, so the poll gets skewed yeah. because of that. Yeah. Right. It turns out there's very little evidence of shy Tories these days. Well, one of the other things I think is interesting in terms of how the conversation goes and why people are always caught surprised, came up in a... There was a, a survey, again, a, a, an American thing, but um, it was breakdown of political allegiance by occupation. And pretty much everyone who was like in finance voted, you know, leaned right. Um, everyone in engineering leaned right. Everyone in manufacturing leaned right. Everyone in agriculture, pretty much everyone in agriculture leaned right. Everyone in like the media leaned left. Everyone yeah. in kind of, you know, um, the sort of industries where they're on Twitter all day yakking about it, they all lean left, you know, yeah. whether it be in, in movies or TV or radio or whatever, but also, I guess, kind of more like the humanities, psychology, you sure. know, to be honest, the sort of person who presented that, put that polling information together, probably you know, would fall into that category. But they're the ones who are, yeah, yakking away on the forums all day. Other people are out, you know, uh, right. just, you know, trying to fucking sell some tumble dryers to, uh, to New Jersey, you know, and they're like, <laughs> and they like, just roll the, their the eyes left, at all the that. The left is a nicer one to claim, isn't it? It's, 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 it's all the vocally 
caring stuff is, is on the left. That's you know, what you, I you think is him, interesting. You can look yeah. caring. Yes. Sound caring, even if that wouldn't be what you'd actually vote for or what you'd actually want. That's the idea of virtue signalling to some extent, isn't it? Although virtue signalling is a slightly subtler thing than that. Or not being ostracised, we've mentioned earlier. If the the perception is that the the Twitter sphere or whatever, however you are perceiving your society is to the left. Well, you're more likely to applaud help the poor than than this policy is impossible. Yeah, yeah. Although, I mean, this is where, you know, I've been interested in some right-leaning voices in American politics more or on American Twitter, American social media, where they, exp- where they express themselves more coherently, less apologetically in the way that, you know, the, the current Conservative Party just really are squeamish about expressing any actual Conservative policies. Yep. The idea that minimising the welfare state might actually encourage better, you know, humanity to be better. Is it, she won't say that. It's always just about kind of yeah. actually we've been, you know, just claiming to be constantly paying more rather than ever defending the right. notion that okay. it's not a good thing to just endlessly mm. make work to be disincentivized, you know, endlessly until the point where the, you can't tell. But we always fear lifestyle. the end results, don't we? You cut yes. down the welfare state a little bit. What we're worried about is you cut down the welfare state, you get yes. out. You yeah, know? yeah. And, well, and I course, think every, everything, everyone's constantly looking for this the end of the wedge and where it's going to lead to rather than saying yes. we can find stopping points for things yeah you know? well of course society is so complex now that you can cherry pick any statistics for, for to support your view of you know has there been austerity since 2012 a lot of very significant you know I think pretty strong statistical information says no that austerity was abandoned you know quite early on into what but, but it, it remains a, a, a great kind of banner to with which to complain about the callousness of, of a Tory yep. administration, you know. Yeah, okay, so, okay. Some of it's still going through, isn't it? I mean, there are, there are sort of planned still policies, cuts, yes. still cuts that yes. haven't even taken place yet, but are yeah, still yeah. going to. Yeah, but they have, it depends what you call austerity, of course. It's a bit like poverty, isn't it? You can say, has the world's poor increased? Well, what do you call poor? You know, is poor only ever a metric? Mm. Is it is it a, only ever a proportion of the median income? Or is it is there a point at which, if you can eat... And, and, and sleep on a dry bed, are you, you know... I mean, there is still a, a, a millions of people who are poor in this country, apparently, you know, children growing up in poverty. And then, but, you know, I know my parents and many of their generation look at what is regarded as poverty now and they say, well, that, that was perfectly normal when we yep. were kids, you know, so that level of calorific intake and It's hard access, because you know, we, we really look at our peers to see how well yes, we're doing and how we we're do. doing. It's, it's comparative, isn't and it? And I think it's a, that's a perfectly valid, you know, measure, absolutely. You yeah, know, I mean, you've people got to said say, years ago that one of the worst things that happened to parts of the third world was when they got TV and saw how people yes. in America were living Yeah, yeah. and suddenly realised they weren't as happy as they yes, thought they yes, were. Yes, exactly, you know, <laughs> you know yeah. They used to play football barefoot in the dirt and they were smiling all over their faces. And yeah, yeah. And they huh. All right, yeah. I see. Where's my Nike? Why dynasty to Mogadishu? <laughs> Although, of course, they've sort of then leapt over loads of stuff, haven't they? And they've, you know, a lot of developing world Pass people now have world. got, got uh, smartphones when they've never had landlines, let alone yep. uh, laptops or anything, you know. What's been interesting with the the, uh, the Pinker book, I thought what it was called, the recent one. Enlightenment Now. Enlightenment Now, now yeah. that's the one, yeah, yeah. And some of the reactions to it are, well, they're just reactive. They're, they're just kind of people going, that cannot possibly be true. Mm. It cannot possibly be true that we're better off than we were before and yeah, that the yeah. whole world is improving in so yeah. many different ways. Well, it's certainly, yeah. I mean, it's certainly true that um, uh, many people living in abject poverty are now living in slightly less abject poverty yeah. than they were. But then the same was true in the early 19th century in Manchester, you know, which, you know, the Industrial Revolution 
brought brought the agricultural poor out of the field. They came of their own volition into Manchester to work hideously long hours in horrible smoke-filled factories, yes. which we look back on now as horrific, you know, and actually we kind of romanticised the agrarian lifestyle they had prior to that. But in purely economic terms, it was to their benefit. Fewer of their children died, you know, they, they were in the dry. But still part of me kind of goes, yeah, but that wasn't good, was it? That wasn't actually that good. <laughs> and now we've moved on and those factories are overseas, but, you know, you look at air quality in China or whatever and you just think, this isn't good. Let's not kid ourselves. It's certainly not everything's fine and we're just, we just have a tendency, the amygdala is letting us down again because yeah. it tends to be, you know, it tends to think everything's terrible and actually everything's <laughs> fine. No, there, is, there are many things to worry about. The biosphere is an incredibly fragile and, 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 and thin. Totally, and complacency you know. is ridiculous. But at yeah. the same time, you can recognise what's good around you. can count blessings, yes, and absolutely. there's a, a tendency not to do that. One of the things, I mean, everyone talks about Rosling's book as being more powerful oh, than Pinker's. Yeah, 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 great, okay. great. it is. I mean, that does perk you up reading that. And, um, and one of the things I like in that is that he looks at, at birth rates, which, you know, overpopulation for many years we all thought was going to be the great driver of apocalypse, which has tailed off everywhere except sub-Saharan Africa now. They are looking at, you know, there's a terrifying upward hockey stick of sub-Saharan African population explosion, but who knows where, you know, that could turn out to be wrong. But everywhere, even like Honduras, Guatemala, you know, those kind of places that... The, 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 you know, that the wall is all about, you know, this terrifying fear that they, 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 they breed like rabbits and they're just going to surge across because there's no work for them. That's fallen in a single generation from about seven or eight children per family down to about two and a half, three, down to a oh, sort really? of standard right. American suburban yeah. model of the 1970s. The American suburban model now, of course, like Britain, is below replacement level. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. He, he makes the point that um, you would assume that population growth would be exponential. Yeah. But in fact, it's more likely to level off. Yeah. And the great driver of that is educating women, of course, you know, which is if, if there was one yeah, silver bullet, control, you would yeah. say for the yes, yeah, okay. birth control and, right. and girls in schools. Those those two things are um, giving women some sort of control over, yeah. you know, but but then we get, yeah, as I say, you, you swing too far the other way, you dip below replacement level and then you have to sort of import other uh, populations get too of people clever. who aren't yeah. well, <laughs> women, women that self-actualise to the extent they don't have any children and then kind of go, right we now need to import from kind of horribly patriarchal societies where women are forced to have loads of babies because we need loads of babies you know right okay, that, that, okay. That, do you yeah. know what I mean if that's, I yes. mean, that's the calculation you're sort of making and well, it's, it's already and Japan is already facing this problem because Japan oh. is not reproducing at replacement no. level now no. yeah. but also Japan's quite a racist society mm. that they, 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 they really I mean they, they really don't even regard that word as shaming they don't they go yes you would say that because, yeah. because gaijin yeah. <laughs> yeah and they all sleep with their anime cushions their big full-size <laughs> anime pillows with a lovely girl have you seen these no they're like they don't even have sex dolls the teenagers they have like they a, don't even have sex dolls no, 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 proper, how unsophisticated are no, they exactly they, but you would think of the, the sex robot is i think is going to change everything this is my sort of oh no it definitely is preoccupation <laughs> yeah. it's going to change I've, I've everything thought, i've thought a lot about this yes <laughs> But um, I've already it's just got one a question of, you know, meet the wife. Is that's basically right. the, uh, you know, is that's the farce of the future, isn't it? But there's the Raycooney, Raycooney two point zero. <laughs> but they have like large um, satin covered, full length, you know, in the picture of the, you know what the anime girls look like or hentai, yeah. you know, big yeah. eyes, like slightly yeah. um, androgynous, but uh, but but they are the gorgeous like uh, idea. It's an odd image though because it's obviously very. Um, Occidental, their their kind of ideal of beauty is like is I don't know what you would call it exactly, but it's roughly like a twelve year old Western boy is their 
is yes. what they think the ideal woman should look like. She doesn't look at all like a Japanese girl or boy or, or woman. No, you're right. Yeah, no, no. it isn't I, it. I don't know where that where it all came from. No doubt somebody has traced it back. Anyway, they go to bed with these things, and that's their girlfriend. And they have their they have well, a, it like number a pillow of them. thing. Or yeah, it? it's basically a pillow, and they will frot it. They will what it? Frot. You know, well, fri- frictional. You know, uh, relief. But but not there's there are no <laughs> holes in it or anything. They just mm, I love you. But they have this is the this is where you find out how insane it is. They have a number of them usually, but there's enough. one that is like their, I think they call it wifey, but it's like Wi-Fi or something, but it's okay. basically their wife, their special one. And she is treated with wifey. respect, and all the others are basically whores, <laughs> and, and just like their little fuck pigs. And this oh, one no. pillow is treated as, you know, <laughs> and there's a word for it. I don't know, it's not quite wifey, but it's something like that. Yeah, it's, it's a whole culture of insanity and it's extraordinary it's like the Eskimos and snow thing yes, exactly. Japanese 12 different words for sex pillows sex pillow, exactly <laughs> a whole hierarchy of sex pillows has emerged yeah. <laughs> let's clarify that I don't really have a sex robot I was no. just about to make a yeah, no. bad joke about a Roomba the little uh, things that go around the house vacuuming I had something about one of those I can't remember what it was now but yeah but that's the you fact know. you sleep with your vacuum cleaner is a concern though oh. <laughs> well, in the old days, you know, vacuum cleaners, it was understood that that was, a, you know, there was a sexual application. But with the Roomba, I'm not sure quite how it is. It's, it's I mean, you have to lie really flat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Cover yourself in little, dust. A little ramp up to your feet. And There'll be instructions like the old with peanut this peanut butter recording. and the dog, but then the Roomba, you have to sort of sprinkle yourself with some lint from under the sofa. Uh, and then, I know oh, I'm feeling really said. dirty. <laughs> I have no idea I didn't know if it's for like a short story or a sketch or what, of um, just a Mars rover being mixed up with an automatic sort of hoover thing and them not realising until, they, you know, they go to the control room in NASA and one of the guys there is going, that's, that's, those are my socks. Gradually <laughs> <laughs> realising. And then the last scene is just a, a very long shot of Mars just being gradually hoovered Hoover by this thing. And every time it bumps into a rock, yeah, just like cleaning around a bit, yeah, yeah. They are fascinating. I mean, it's a fascinating idea, isn't it? That 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 thing that just gradually, relentlessly mapped. You, you know yes, what I mean? It's like it's past the two thousand, isn't it? Yeah. That would be the future, unquestionably. I mean, we've we've already yeah. found out sending people into space is way too expensive and yeah, yeah. and also just too restrictive. So it's, kind of it's gonna be robots. Well, it'd be robot it? exploration completely from from now. I would have thought. It's interesting that you know the um, you know the failure of the Apollo moonshots to be followed up with anything you know as as kind of energizing and galvanizing as you know the the, the space <coughs> station everything all just feels a bit technical compared to man on the moon you know flag bang yeah. that was it 1969 yeah. since that a gradual tapering yes. off i mean that's seen as a as a significant uh, sort of philosophical um I, I got like an omen or something you know like a, t- a really telling regression in america in, 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 in odd... significant parties think of that as being a, a sign basically that this is the this is the effect of democratic policies of you know endless welfare. We used to reach for the stars, but now we just. But I think it's also an effect of, um, you know. of what war does for us. That the, yeah. as we move further away from, from wars, yeah, um, you know, wars cause cause competition, and uh, and that largely the space race was that well, follow on from the war. So, whether war you call it war or at least two superpowers competing for glory in that respect, yeah, yeah. with yeah. technology I, I, that came from the war, yeah, well, so. Nazis, Werner von Braun, yes. Well, somebody said, wasn't it? The Americans got to the moon first because their their Nazis were better than the Russians' Nazis. Right. Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. 
<laughs> but they weren't, of course, initially, were they? The Russians were in the lead every step of the way until they, actually, well, they, they kept changing the goalposts. So, yeah. Exactly, you know, they're going, well, yeah. not the first man in space. First man in space and back down. Okay, first man in yeah. space with a drop. Right, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, I read an unbelievable quote from Werner von Braun the other day. It's just the most sexist thing I've ever heard. <laughs> about sending up some astronauts, one of whom was female. Apparently, how he described that is we we have uh, dedicated 110 pounds of payload for recreation. Wow. <laughs> What? <laughs> no, really? A space whore. Yeah, yes, a space whore. thought she was. <laughs> Luna, <laughs> where, whereas the Japanese can produce a lightweight yeah. pillar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's save you some jet When was fuel. that, though? <coughs> He's been dead many years now, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah okay. I was yeah, just terrified he was still alive. I, I, Jesus I, I just confidently said yes, like yeah. I knew. I have no idea. He might be... Happily. I read about him um, for the first time. There was a great book I read in Edinburgh last year called Stranger Than We Can Imagine, which is a sort oh, yeah. of history of the 20th century. Yeah. Very good. Great book. Yeah. Yeah, really good. Very interesting. Because I'd asked on Twitter, was there any connection between the direction modern art took in the early 20th century with cubism and so on and the discoveries of quantum mechanics, which seemed to just undermine the sense that we had that everything was solid and had a yep. you know and that book yep. basically somebody said you should read this book which i did and it is a really really, really interesting be- beautifully ties in the, yeah. the movements going on in art through science through everything was, yeah. was, was, was a, a similar way of thinking the things that fractured our certainties over the course of the yep. century really and, t- and takes you from sort of the time of emperors and then then yes, the war empires, to, that's right. to so where, yeah. where individually it was a given wasn't it you said at the end, end of the 19th century it was an un- it was understood that empire was the natural sort of for thousand years of for most of human history emperors and empires was all really knew and then and now we and it might be that therefore we, we kind of overcompensated with individuality of, of, yes. of saying that, that that's now so important and yeah. now I think it's become a bit confused again hasn't it yeah well it, in a funny way you know what you were saying earlier about should everyone have the vote and be required to vote in the same to the same degree obviously you know less comfortably you say is everyone capable of even self-actualizing in that respect you know you know the expectation that we are all individuals puts an intolerable burden on a lot but I'm of people but I'm still kind of romantically attached because I guess growing up and being, being around the 80s and so on and to me it felt like we're in these new times you can be gay you can be straight individual doesn't matter what you are you are. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like you're, you're a person first and I kind of feel that now we've so it's like a generation have gotten rid of that and said that actually the tribe you're a member of is more important than yes. who you are as an individual. People are seeking out their own, now is they're, they're deciding for themselves what their tribe is, whether it's sexual or whether it's, you know, I mean, it used to be music, didn't it? When you were 16 years old, you'd find your tribe through your bags yeah, right, or, okay. or whatever, you know, but it was temporary. But, you know, nobody joins the regiment now or anything or has any kind of loyalty to that kind of thing. You no, know, it's more birthright now, I remember when um, Tim Vine did uh, Fame Academy. Um, he he was distraught when he was voted out quite early on, not because he, you know, he felt that it was a reflection of his failure to, you know, but he just loved the regimental... Like, he basically was like living in barracks, you know, when you do one of those things, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, and I've never done one of them, but um, he loved it so much. And he was saying, you know, you would not, under, you not believe how relaxing it is to just have you know this is your room you're woken up at this time this is your schedule for the day where you right, learn to dance okay. this is you know where you eat in the mess hall essentially yes. it's basically joining the army you know yes and a lot of men in particular i think you know and it's interesting how men again my father he's 88 he has been doing like this for years they look back on their national service with you know far more nostalgic fondness than any other period of their life you know i think men do respond quite well to that so it's like a lot of men yeah and it's largely stopped it's not you know we also used to send people to the monasteries that the huge surplus of boys would go monasteries yeah, or go yeah. war wouldn't they that yeah. was uh, 
but men are like I don't know women have a different uh, set of things maybe I don't know but but men it's a bit like swaddling clothes you know which look cruel to the baby but actually relax it in that same way that if you restrict men in a lot of different ways they have a few outlets for their individuality which they can express you know and which make them feel like they've asserted themselves just enough but man, are we, are we, talking, about other, are we talking about other men here or us? I, feel, I think I, it's funny because I mean I've chosen a path which is incredibly individual. Like you were saying, if you're a comedian and you don't get reviews, you just think, "Am I alone in the entire ocean?" <laughs> right. You know? Yes. Yeah. So it's very. And we have our lives com- almost completely under our control with this. Yes. Right? Yeah. We're Although we hand it over people. to agents, I suppose. And yeah, one but of the even things then, I sort we're of still their boss, really. We can leave yeah, yeah. any time. We're not. No, uh, we can absolutely. And by comparison, as you say, no one tells people. us off. No. no one tells us off ever. No, you never get that's not good enough. I mean, you you get it from an audience if they don't laugh enough, but right. but they're not angry with you afterwards. You know, it's not like I want to see you in the, my office in the morning. No. <laughs> That'd be really weird, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Interesting though that, that comic comedians tend to lean to the left. Having chosen an industry that's yeah. so individual, yeah, so, yeah, so libertarian, libertarian, really. libertarian well, yeah. all petty bourgeois, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't know whether it's working libertarian or not, but it's uh, arguably, I don't know, it's arguably, arguably Marx would be the same, but it's not really it? a meritocracy. Marx is, is the same, you know, if you want to say that's your uber left, leftist sort of mentality, the way he earned his living was, you know made friends with a wealthy industrialist <laughs> and he's like cadging money off people you know I mean the, the hypocrisy of the live life you know for any leftist philosopher ironically you know quite often the ones on the right or at least somebody like Benjamin Franklin you know who determined yeah. that he could live you know without compromising his values by by minimizing his outgoings and uh, sleeping on a stone floor to to us to confirm to himself that if the worst came to the worst he would never have to Except work, he didn't. He had a printing firm. He could, afford a, he firm. could afford a stone floor, could he? he, he yeah, I know. Yeah, <laughs> luxury, <Franklin. laughs> luxury. We were outside. Have to sleep on the cobbles. He was. He ran a printing firm, and he was asked if he would print a, a pamphlet, a political pamphlet, whose views he didn't agree with, and he he didn't want to turn down the business because it was, you know, worth, you know, could have saved the business. So he he slept the, the night on the stone floor to assert to himself to confirm to himself that if the right. worst came to the worst he didn't need this money and then he turned the business he turned the, the work down nowadays of course different sort of calculations apply yeah, and yeah, it would yeah. be you know well you know bake the cake but uh, it's a it's, it is an interest I don't think you can necessarily hold comedians up to the fire on you know hold their feet to the fire on how they've chosen to earn their living if there were a collectivist alternative to the to the circuit perhaps some comedians would choose that i don't know what do you think lifestyle and and freedom of choice attracted you at all no it was partly not having to get up in the morning you know that's a fair bit of freedom of choice yeah that was partly it but i didn't actually used to mind a bit of routine i um i couldn't stand management structure i really just hated corporate structure i was i was in it for a couple of years and i could just see i'm never going to be happy here you know i could see I wanted to be, I, I just liked like conversations like this where you can just go off on random diversionary, you know, where, where, where your nose takes you. And, and c- corporate business was so focused on tiny, narrow ranges of, of, of thought and um, uh, issues that needed addressing that, you know, God, it was just very, very dull. It's sometimes, sometimes being restrictive is quite useful, even artistically. Yeah. You know, it's like, like, like when I had that, uh, the radio show for... Um, uh, so one of my Edinburgh shows are turned into a radio show, and I, but there's there's an awful lot of material in there that isn't going to go out on radio for yeah. you. Know? Um, 
And it's one of those ones where at first I kind of resent the fact I've got to find ways around everything and then that starts becoming fun and you realise that actually sometimes being artistically restricted a little bit well, we were uh, talking about affected. this last night. I was talking to Andy Zaltzman and, and Dominic Frisbee, and, uh, um, who I'm sharing a, a flat with. And um, we were all saying that it's extraordinary how you can you can think, oh, God, I should write some material, but I don't know what to say. And then somebody says, Simon, can you write me a thousand-word <laughs> blog, for, you know, for some newspaper or something on should Boris Johnson yep, be... You exactly know, and you right. go, yes, right. and you knock it out. Yep. And you go, this is gold. I can use this. You <laughs> yes, know? yes, yes, yes. yes. <laughs> why, do, why don't we set ourselves yes, restricted exactly. yes. uh, exercises all the time? But we don't, exactly. do we? We don't. And it, there's a book called The the War of Art, as it, right. you know, the version of The Art of War, The War of Art, which is about specifically about doing that, about being your own boss, about almost detaching and creating a separate persona who is yeah. like, you are professional, you are your own boss, you tell yourself to do this. And you, you knuckle down and do it. And, and, you, and you're even allowed to sit there and go, what a stupid title for a blog this is. You know, <laughs> right. but I've got to do it anyway because the boss says so. It makes loads of sense. Because yeah. the hardest thing to do is hit a broad subject, isn't it? Yes, um, absolutely. America, run yes. with that. Okay, yeah, what? exactly. Well, we're a circle to come round to, though, like hating the corporates. Yes, exactly. They're creating one of your own. And now human resources is at me and yeah. I've been called in the... Yes. <laughs> oh, Payroll is, is like refusing to give me a sub on next week's wages. Yeah. I've accused myself of harassment. Yes, exactly. <laughs> well, that would happen a lot. <laughs> Even the deadline does that, though, doesn't it? We, yeah. We, we all yeah. need our deadlines. Yeah, and, and anyone who knows they're working with comedians will set them, you know, earlier. Yeah, 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 totally yeah. yeah. Okay, now rewrite it. Huh? But I thought this was the deadline. Yeah. <laughs> Turns out we've got another week. But... Do you remember off the curb used to tell you when to set off from London for a gig? Yeah, oh, they still do. Really unrealistically. It takes yeah, about yeah. seven hours to get yes. there. For... They yes. still have that on some of those Set off in February. Yeah. I always thought someone should have brought out a proper book of off the curb gigs taking <laughs> real time they start. <laughs> a real distance away. I did that badly though when I did it on the uh, Avalon Cottage circuit um, years ago, and um, I showed up quite badly, increasingly late because it was student gigs. Because right. I just felt, obviously, I think at some level, I felt zero respect for for the whole. <laughs> right. Until eventually, I was called in, and this was like, right, we want you to be at this state. You know, we want confirmation that you've left every day okay. where you're coming off the tour. You know, <laughs> <laughs> sort of arrive and they go this way, take coat off, walk on stage. <laughs> Um, it's, the, well, it's the most stressful part of this job, though, isn't it? Yeah. The travel. I mean, God, it's the, you know. If that, that's my favourite thing. thing. Of the, my favourite thing of being at the festival is it's yeah. just a month of none of that. Exactly that. Exactly that. That's right. And I do notice that quite a few comedians, usually ones without kids, but quite a few comedians, you know, do try and display the festivals. You know. Yeah. Uh, go for you know Australia, festivals New Zealand, all, around. all of that. Yeah. yeah. It's a great way to work if you can do it. If you can get the numbers and make it pay, but it does mean you're away from home for for weeks at a time. But I've I've definitely find that appealing compared to yeah I did a couple of years ago did the, the touring around Australia and so on but yeah your life does just go on hold yeah you know the, you 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 do it's like uh, being away from school for too long coming back to a lot yeah, of homework yeah yeah it's absolutely like everything's caught up with you and it's uh, yes do do you feel you're you're still learning stuff as a comedian yeah uh, and maybe maybe I don't make myself learn as much as I should but I definitely think the job is at its best when you are learning things. It's funny, I was talking to, uh, to, to name drop slightly, but Al Murray about this, and he was complaining about, oh, God, I've come up in, you know, and I'm trying to run in new material and it's not ready. And I was saying that is kind of the best and the worst of this yes. job in a way, you know. Yeah. Those moments where you know you've got to do it, but it's not quite ready, but you jump anyway. Yeah. You get all the same buzz because you live on your wits. 
you know, and uh, and that was the buzz that made us comedians. None of us, I think, chose it as a career path, to thinking this will get me the pension and the home and the right. patio that I want. It's always that kind <laughs> no. of, I've got, got to I do that again. That. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> No, it's always about it's about it's like an extreme sport, isn't it? And that's I don't know that I learn new skills, but I constantly learn new ways that you can be funny or new elements of your own. I I think to some extent right. we are who we are, but you're teasing part unfolding parts of yourself that might be tucked away. I think you know? times changing. That there are subjects I could have talked about much more easily ten years ago. You know, and, and now uh, there's a lot of shifting sands with morality that's gone. Uh, things that would yeah. uh, certainly a, a lot of a lot of uh, things you couldn't say before were more about pruder, prudery ones, and that more came from the right. Yeah. You know, and now it's come. It's, it's kind of moved over to the left, who, who see harm attached to jokes and words and so on. So yeah, uh, there's subjects I have to think a lot harder about how to broach them. Yes. Or make it very clear where I'm coming from. Because it's not about offending Mary Whitehouse. It's about no, exactly. About, yeah, 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 yeah. Know, it was the Mary Whitehouse thing, yeah. and that was, and therefore it was a bit of a joke that the to people who were those so yeah. prudish. Pre- yeah. yeah, and it was the church. Yeah, all that stuff. It is odd, isn't it, how that has gone around? But also, as we get older, you know, I always think of Grandpa Simpson. You know, I used to be with it, then they changed what it was. <laughs> what I was with wasn't it anymore. <laughs> something new. <laughs> I didn't understand it. It'll happen to you. Yeah. And it does, it does happen to you, you know, and you move on. And you, I mean, most comedians kind of have that thing. I was saying, you know, Bob Dylan's great song, uh, Ballad of a Thin Man. Do you know that mm. one? Something is happening and you don't know what it is, do you, Mr. Jones? And I used to feel like I was kind of, I was an ally of the of the narrator in that song. And now I feel I am probably Mr. Jones. You know, <laughs> right, if I want to okay. be uh, plausible as a yes. comedian, I'm like, what the fuck is going on? I yeah, don't yeah, understand yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. That's where the joke comes from, you know, I'm out of touch. It is interesting, because it doesn't feel like you're changing yourself. No. I mean, from my point of view, I... I, I used to be quite often the most left-wing person in the room. I never no. feel that anymore. Well, the idea of even yeah. left-wing doesn't quite make sense anymore, does it? I mean, they have that kind of, you know, the grid. you know, The, the compass. The, yeah, yeah, authoritarian, libertarian, and then socially or economically left or right. And um, But even that doesn't quite feel like it's enough to cover identity politics and everything else that, no, no, that no. the left is concerned with increasingly now. Culture wars, I suppose that's that's the kind of term that they use in America for it all and we're becoming more aware of it in this country now. I think possibly, I think it might be, I'm not sure, but I think it might be because America has been a, a, a racially and ethnically mixed culture and society for longer and now that's becoming a bigger deal here and that cultures and ethnicities bring certain assumptions with them that then collide and create. Possibly, but I think also the internet has sped up yeah. um, the speed of, you know, the speed of uh, change. Yes. So I think an idea that the before would have gestated uh, over a, a more interesting period, you know, with more discussion, and now uh, an idea spread, ideology is spreading very fast. Yeah. And people are jumping on the bandwagon, and change is happening faster than it can actually be tested for for its effects. Yeah. Um, but also a lot of a lot of this change is coming from the more elite universities, which is interesting, who are even more concerned with identity politics and uh, yeah and. Their understanding of what is elite, which doesn't really include them. <laughs> no, that's right. You, in, including Cambridge and Oxford, not just American ones. I mean, the American, yeah, American ones, ones that's well, been, been happening a lot. Yale and Harvard are absolutely, you know, the cutting edge, aren't they? I mean, yeah, they've yeah. been um, lambasted for it, but it's extraordinary how, how much that sort of agenda has, has taken control. And not just in the humanities or anthropology or something, but, you know, maths now is like the conversation is taking place. Is maths, you know, 
like white supremacist? Is it is it like Sexist sort of maths. is it Western? Yeah, is it kind of yeah. does it have a, a Western bias? You know, the, the facts of it, the way it's taught, the plus the sign, of it. a bit male. Yeah, yeah. the uh, maths well, wise, I'm non-binary. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. <laughs> really good. Where are you, so where are you on the on the the, the compass? Where we're coming, we're in this mm. lovely flat. Uh, yeah. where Simon is staying with uh, Andy Zaltzman and Dominic Frisby, which I thought was a really interesting political spectrum. In yeah, the yeah. Flat. And Dominic then I realized... is quite libertarian. In yeah. fact, probably libertarian, really. Yeah. Yep. I, I feel I am still, I genuinely feel I'm still learning and I'm open to questions and conversations about economics and I'm willing to be, to be steered. But I think my gut feeling, and, you know, like all people, I, I will sort of probably, you know, lean towards facts which support my gut feeling. But my gut feeling is that society is stronger and healthier and more robust in the long run when it tends to be less redistributive than more. So I guess right in that respect. Mm. But I am certainly not um, authoritarian. I, 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 I think it's good if there are structures in society which those individuals who prefer to live under authoritarian systems can gravitate towards if that's what makes them comfortable this is what we were saying earlier you know okay. so i think it is healthy if there are you know um whether it be the army or whether it be large corporate structures or whatever that those sort of people can find some kind of comfort in where they know where their corners and edges are you know but other people can seek their own path i think it's absolutely crucial in any society that it, those who are genuinely individualistic you know by bent can can pursue their own path and be relatively unbothered and unhassled you know yep. but not harassed by the state i think that's you know you know that's absolutely a non-negotiable for me that's why totalitarian states are a disaster just because of the regardless of whether people's you know whether shops end up being empty shelves it's it's the mental violence that's done to a person who doesn't want to live under that system that that's that's unbearable but I do think other people quite enjoy it. So in a healthy society, you know, there should be the option to to find a, a you yeah, know yeah, yeah. Yeah. a structured uh, uh, a sort of pre-imagined um, maze, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. in which you can spend your day. But um, but yeah, I would tend to I would tend to be of the the opinion that lower taxes and and high incentives for industry for uh, risk taking on entrepreneurship and and business. And trade tends to be a healthier way for its society to to live and to evolve and to to strengthen itself against the vicissitudes, than the the endless impulse to redistribute and make things fair. Yep. Yeah. That's a, that's a, yeah. That's one one use of fair, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It's, well, it's fair is no fair. You know, fair. I don't. That, that would be I fair because it's not fair. I mean, apart from anything I else, we're all born with different degrees. We are all almost certainly, you know, more than fifty percent of our capacity, our cognitive ability, is inherited. Um, not 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 reliably necessarily. You know, not like two clever parents have, will have a clever son. You can't definitely. You know, but you're born with it. A, a lot, of, and then your early environment takes care of most of the rest of it. By the time you're about ten, long before you've made any conscious decision about what to do with your life you are who you are and your opportunities to make money you know in the business sector or not to be able to do anything and just to rely on you know uh, emptying the bins or whatever are not your fault at all so it's not remotely fair that you're able by going into the business sector to earn all the um, uh, luxuries that life can afford it's not fair in that sense it's simply that society is stronger and better overall when those incentives are there to draw the people who can are capable of doing those things into doing them because we're all lazy regardless of our ability 
but fairness, you know, it's just that's the thing. Justice or, or um, you know, I guess truth almost. Those are the yeah, two. Yeah. Those are the two things you have to weigh up. You know, just social justice is. Is, is is not really achievable without equality and fairness now. are not the same thing. No, you know, there, no. there is a massive conflation of the two. Yeah, really. well, it's not going to work. Kind of what I meant. Uh, yeah. I was going at is that most people will say that they want things to be fair, mm. but people mean totally different things. Yes, when they're yeah, saying. yeah. So some people, for instance, think that uh, equality of opportunity mm. is fairness, and some people think equality of outcome is fairness. And as far as I, it's certainly a shift I've had in my own views is that equality of outcome is perhaps a really dangerous thing to aim for it's not really feasible but people no. talk about equality of outcome only with um, very narrow margins of you know yeah. ideas it's, it doesn't encourage uh, doesn't cover like beauty it doesn't, no, doesn't no. cover no, funny you know, enough Dominic was talking earlier about you know the ugly being the, uh, the the ugly people of this world being the last minority who no one gives a damn about but who are statistically proven to have bad outcomes especially as a result, in these know? days where with the internet and Instagram yeah, and, uh, and, yeah. and get your following because you know I, I met people in Dubai who that they're massive Instagram followings that all they have is beauty mm. you know they photograph themselves in yeah, front yeah. of things get their 15,000 yeah. followers and the outcome in, uh, you know opportunity versus outcome thing is is that's almost like the, the very heart I suppose of, of you know the left right dispute and it, but of course those terms are muddy really because um, you're absolutely right to, to guarantee equality of outcome that eventually leads to you know uh, Hayek said totalitarianism is a word we've had to invent in order to describe the systems necessary for imposing socialism it's you yeah. know you can't <laughs> yeah, you, yeah. that's the only way you'll do it and even then you'll only do it by suppressing the, the top you know it's a brutal uh, description but the only way that you will make a cart horse and a racehorse across uh, the line at the same time is by hobbling the racehorse you know that's the right. only way you will do it you know yes. and equally the only way you will make a cart horse and a racehorse able to carry an equal weight is by hobbling the, the cart horse you know yeah the, the, there's yeah. no way of improving these things and the hair but the equality of exactly the hair wins every time we Absolutely. all know the hair wins <laughs> maybe not over five miles you know. <laughs> but equality of, of opportunity is a lie as well because equality of opportunity presumes that we all start with the blank slate and we don't that's the thing and you know coming to terms with that is the difficult thing and the degree to which genetic advances and understanding of you know the biology of the brain in particular and of you know the the input that things like hormones and everything else have on on people's ability to work hard and take advantage of opportunities when they see them is going to have to affect i think it's going to at some point we're going to have to absorb that and think well what does that mean for our politics what does that mean for policy you know because equality of, of, of opportunity is a lie essentially you can say you can get rid of private so? school and all the rest of it and say there okay. should be equality of opportunity so everyone should go to the same school right. but if you all go to the same school but one of you has got an iq of 130 and the other one's got an iq of 85 you do not have the same equality of opportunity no but you to, have to you, do well in the world you still you have the same well. wheels in motion to say that anyone in that school if they do pass their exams, can, yeah, and yeah. then everyone is allowed to but pass their exams. But then they go, exams. and That's then the, the guy with 85 IQ ends right. up on the streets, and the guy with the 130 ends up with a, with a holiday home and the second car. And you go, well, we had the same opportunities. Well, you didn't really. I'm not saying you, there's not. I'm not saying this is what we should do about it. I'm just saying it's a it's a little bit of a fudge yeah. to sort of say this is what should be. You know, so you are going to, and it, it, inevitably you are going to have to redistribute a little bit. It's about finding that balance, you know. But but to say opportunity versus outcome. I mean, definitely not outcome, but don't even kid yourself, really, that you can provide... Because apart from anything else, 
one of the great incentives of working hard and let's say building up a business and working 12 hour days you know and sacrificing everything that you you, you know that a more normal person might regard as a balanced life in order to accrue a fortune is in order to be able to bequeath it to your children and that's yep. that's a huge incentive to be able to send them to a private school regardless of the fact that that is a waste of money to be able to <laughs> you know buy them a flat in london to get them you know started when they go those are things that people work hard in order to achieve. But if you're going to determine the quality of opportunity, regardless of outcome, the quality of opportunity means that that child should not be allowed to benefit from its parents' hard work. I mean, and, and that, you know, really is... I'm still not sure whether... I don't know where I stand on that at all. Yeah. Whether a child, just because of the parents they have, you know, that child doesn't have a necessarily a better IQ than anyone else. It's just solely no. they're born to the right parents. Yeah, so. yeah. Look at people, and, and Richard Branson, for example, you know, someone who has the freedom to run several businesses into the ground before yes. the one takes Yes, and right. Yeah, most yeah. people don't have that. No, no, absolutely right. It's interesting, in comedy terms, it's not, this is not, I hope it won't come across as critical of the people involved, but it's in comedy terms, you see stand-ups of pretty much every uh, sort of class, I think, and it comes in waves a little bit, and perhaps in the old days it was seen as a bit of an Oxbridge thing, the footlights and so on, but yeah. there was also the Northwest comedians, you know, the Les Dawson's or whatever, that slightly different circuit. But now on our circuit, I feel like you see people from various backgrounds. There's a lot of graduates, but that is a fairly achievable thing for people of our age to have got to university, regardless of, you know, you didn't have to be privileged. But sketch troops tend to be middle class. Because sketch troops, in mm. order to uh, in order to be able to get you know, do the several years, to you have to come it. up to fund it because yes. you're not earning any money. There's no circuit. There's no yep. club circuit. It's <laughs> indulgence essentially, and and you will. I mean, you might be able to hold down a job while you're doing it, but you won't be able to really focus on that. Yes. You, know, you can't give up the day job and become a sketch artist. <laughs> For a long time, you know, and so they do tend still to be very Oxbridgey, you know. So you, you get a gig, you have to split it four ways. Four anyway. ways, yeah. yes, exactly, yeah, yeah. We've got to wind. We're uh, running late. I got to rush. I forget to a show in a few minutes. So, okay. um, what do you think is next year? Are you going to be up here? Do you think? Yes, I've I've realised the one big thing about Edinburgh. The one big lesson I've learned is that uh, momentum is everything. If you can come every year, you build your audience every year. I, I came last year two years in a row in the same venue but with a new show right. I've come back with the same show this year essentially and I've still improved my numbers with no press so that's all about momentum that's all about well, do, I mean, do you, you know, think you've got do you recognise a type of fan who come and see you now or well, uh, the, the demographic are um, they're certainly middle aged and even slightly you know older middle aged uh, uh, which is great because they've got money you know there's yeah. people and <laughs> yeah. I like them and they're my people you know I don't want to be trying to explain myself to a 25 year old so I mean I'm 53 and I would say that is probably the sweet spot of my of my audience now Right, and okay. they're not particularly well served by uh, all the comedy offers in, in Edinburgh which are increasingly, you know, outlandish. You know, there's an awful lot of, you know, Increasing pictures of like, yeah, 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 kind of crazy degenerate type stuff. You know? <laughs> and so, um, you know, I'm, I'm in, a, I'm, I'm in, in a position to clean up on that front. You know, and you don't even have to be. I mean, that's the thing. I do genuinely try to remain. Um, I try to kind of bridge the divide politically in all sorts of respects. It's not actually yep. about becoming reactionary. There's a there's a there's a, a, a kind of rueful acknowledgement that you become instinctively reactionary as you get older, or I have, you know. But it's not a kind of defence of that necessarily. So I don't actually need to do that. I think I can still attract people from the left and the right who are just slightly bewildered by the, the you know the apparent madness of uh, of the extremes everywhere else, you know. Yeah. 
So I, I think it, and Radio Four is my is my kind of media platform. I have a Radio Four show which has yeah, gone yeah. out every year for the last four years, and um, and I'm occasionally on News Quiz. I don't get any television now. I used to get. I did a couple of live at the Apologies years ago. They get repeated occasionally, but I haven't had anything new for about four years. And I do get the sense that the, the you know the bookers on the TV. You know, even Gary Delaney tells me he's been dropped from Mock the Week. Now he was fantastic and reliable on that, but they right, say they really? just want younger people. They're just constantly like bringing in the young, you know, the new blood. So, um, which is fine. I don't, you know, I don't feel any bitterness. I, I had a couple of... Well, I think it's a shame. Wins. Well, I, if I, I suppose shame. if I, I really think, worked hard to... I think, I think age is yet, yet another one that will be probably next that, uh, yeah, that yeah. people would deal with. Them. Age Especially and these, these, the, 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 the young now who are very good at complaining and objecting to stuff, I think when they get to our when age, they they'll do there, something yeah, about so it, but it won't be us that will. I mean, I want next year's show to talk about, you know, victim mentality as much as anything else, but it, it's not as simple as kind of going, of course... Um, you know, the victim mentality is terrible now because it's yeah. a very easy thing to slip into and I could have slipped into it myself. And of course, as we know, it's very a well-known comedian, I won't mention by name, who, who you know, basically... Sort we of all know ostrac- exactly who you're talking about and yeah. you've only said that much. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Ostracised himself from the community by essentially expressing a victim mentality about, about you know, the, the drift it's going in. But um, if, if you have access, you know, to the means of production as a comedian, all you really need is a microphone. And as you, yep. as you so now, you know, with your, your podcasting equipment, it's not difficult to get yourself out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, if Daniel Defoe could do it on the street corners with his pamphlets, then, uh, then we can do it. And that's the moral <laughs> message we will leave you on today. <laughs> Simon, thank you very much. It's been an absolute pleasure, gentlemen. Thank you. Lovely. Cheers. Cheers.